And I think as a business owner, if you've got any entrepreneur, if you tell me, okay, I'm running a business that has momentum, it's scalable, and we've got optionality. So we can chart our own course, do our own thing. That's the ideal business. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Welcome to another episode of Business Lunch. And today's a snackable episode with Roland where he's going to get into some more tactical strategies that you can start using to live a rich and happy life. If this is the first snackable episode you're hearing, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes that Roland has put out. And if you want to get notified every time we release a new episode, go to the new businesslunchpodcast.com website and we'll send you detailed notes along with every episode. That's businesslunchpodcast.com, www businesslunchpodcast.com and you can sign up for the free email newsletter where you'll be able to get all the highlights and resources from the episodes. Hey everybody, welcome to Business Lunch. We are excited to be here with you today and uh, I, Roland Frazier, and your wonderful co-host uh, Ryan Dice are here mm. to talk about all the things that we might chat about over a lunch. Some of it relating to business. So uh, Ryan, what, what, what would you like to chat about today? What do you think? So um, we just finished, we just wrapped um, our uh, quarterly board meeting for all of our founders board members. And I thought it was fun because, you know, you've got all these really incredible, amazing uh, seven and eight figure entrepreneurs in one room. And the whole purpose of it is just let's talk and share ways that we can all scale our businesses. And what, what was fascinating is when, when we were talking to them, we were like, okay, what do I do? Like, what do I need to do next? Everybody was like, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? What, what, what now? What we kept coming back to me and you, um, you know, Richard and, and was, well, where are you in terms of like uh, SPV? You know, where are you in terms of like leverage sales, uh, bankable profits, transferable value, you know, the, the, the scalable impact framework. And some of our core members were like, well, what do you mean when you talk about SPV? And so we almost had to spend some time reteaching what for us is a core framework that really defines, okay, these are the three things that you absolutely must have if you want to scale, right? These three things have to be in place. Um, most businesses are familiar with two of them. Uh, they generally tend to forget the third one. We'll talk about that, but I thought it would be good. Um, I, to me, it feels like this is something that we always talk about. But in looking back, I realized that there were a lot of our members who they were like, oh, yeah, I forgot about it. We've not done a single business lunch uh, episode where we've all where we've ever talked about this. And so as yeah. important as it is, um, as foundational as it is, but still advanced, I thought it'd be good just to talk about how do you scale? What are the three things that every business must have uh, to scale and the, the one that most businesses forget about? So. I guess I'll kind of tee that up. You're the one who really crafted um, and, and came up with this with this framework. So I'd love for you just to kind of break it down for us. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it really came out of our conversations about what are the things that are most important. And um, and really, uh, we were involved in owning some companies that were tremendously successful outwardly in terms of growth. And, um, and like many of those companies, we landed in the Inc 500, uh, the 500 fastest growing companies We were published in their magazine and everybody reaches out and clinks glasses and say, we are amazing. But I believe that very year, you and I, and our other partner, 
had at one point a panic $100,000 that was taken out of each of our personal accounts to fund the company. And we had to bring in a turnaround uh, manager to take over because the management team was not at the level that we, that they really needed to be from a financial oversight perspective. We had, I believe over a hundred thousand items that people had bought and paid for that were on back order and the company was continuing to sell, which was giving you and I all kinds of pause. And that Christmas, we pause left, is an understatement. <laughs> that Christmas we left was, was it 150 or 200 employees go right before Christmas because we didn't have the money to pay them. Was, do you remember what the number was? Yeah, it, it was, it wasn't quite 200, but it was, it was somewhere in between that. Yeah. It was like, uh, I think 180 something. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the number I was just looking to see if I had, um, the statistics, but, um, I'm going to have to find them again. But, uh, so what was interesting about that is that from everyone's perspective that read the Inc 500 that year, they were like, here is a multiple eight figure company experiencing, you know, four, you know, four figure growth was like a, you know, some thousands of percent growth or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, they're killing it. They're amazing. And just like that company, there were 500 more that were on that list. And what I thought was interesting, and I don't remember where we were on it. It was, it was, I think it was relatively high, but what's interesting is that that to me and the excitement and the celebration and the, uh, the accolades that you get for growing fast is such a problem for business owners and entrepreneurs because it tends to focus them exclusively on growth. And yeah. I hear, you and I hear a lot of people that are out there with masterminds and, um, and programs and stuff like that. They're all talking about growth or they're talking about scale. Uh, and the difference, of course, for all of you guys that don't know already, growth is how fast are we expanding our top line and scale is how fast are we able to handle the business we have from an infrastructure standpoint. As we were thinking about that and we were talking about it, it was like, man, growth ain't all that it's cracked up to be because we felt pretty bad about the whole employee thing. We definitely did not uh, appreciate the, the 100K that disappeared from our accounts to fund the company. And there wasn't really any end in sight. So, um, so it made us start thinking about, well, clearly we need to have a focus on profits as well. And some companies live long enough to get there. By the way, the statistics I was looking for, somewhere around 62 or 64%, as I recall, of the companies that show up on that Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies five years later are out of business. They're, they're gone uh, because they focus so much on growth. So growth alone without profits really doesn't do it for us. And so we've talked about the, that, that you really need to focus on both. And you guys all might be saying, oh, well, duh, right? But no, not duh. <laughs> right. So many startups don't yeah. get to profitability yeah. and go out of business. So many companies that were on the Inc. 500 list that grew the fastest of all the companies didn't get to stay around. And so we talked about it and, and decided, and Ryan, I'll let you share this. Is So we were like, well, you've got to have growth. And the growth needs to be somehow accelerated in some way. 
And so uh, we, we decided that it's not just growth you want, you want leverage growth. And it's not just profits that you want, you want profits that you get to keep, which I want, Ryan, for you to talk about what is a bankable profit. And then what is the intersection of those two things? What does it allow you to do when you have those sales and the, the when you've got the uh, leverage sales and the bankable profit? Yeah, and, and I just want to just double click on the idea that, you know, the, the theme, which is that growth is, is essential, but it's not enough, right? There needs to be some growth, but it's not enough because um, you can even have growth. You can have sales, but if your sales aren't leveraged, meaning it's, you know, you, the founder, having to go out and make all of them, right? And so if you're sick one day, sales go down or, you know, you're over relying upon any, you know, one or two channels or one or two customers even in some cases. So it, it needs to be truly leveraged where it not only are you not starting off every month at, at, at zero, but you have every reason to believe it's going to be higher next month than the month before just by virtue of, you know, of, of the, the flywheel that's spinning. So that, yeah, leverage sales, that's essential. And, and, and to your point, yeah, I think everybody says, check, got it. Like, I understand it. The second piece, though, um, well, before we talk about the about... second piece, though, I'd like to talk about the components there. So we, we, you talked about a flywheel, and so I don't want to just gloss over that for yep. people. Let's talk about what is a growth flywheel and what is a growth engine, because that is one of the best ways to leverage your sales. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in its simplest form, a growth engine is just a visualization of how customers happen, right? And I think most businesses, even businesses that get customers every day, they don't actually know and they couldn't necessarily explain, here's the steps, the step-by-step -step process of how a customer happens. So when we're working right. with a client, that's one of the first things that we do. It's, all right, you know, or one of our founders board members, let's get out a whiteboard and some post-it notes and let's map visually how customers happen. They see an ad, okay, that's a post-it note. They go to this page, okay, that's that. Salesperson follows up, okay, that's that. So that's the first thing. And knowing how customers happen is critical, but that's not a flywheel. Right. So that's your growth engine. That's the visualization. The flywheel really starts spinning when you begin measuring each and every stage of that engine um, independently. So now you can see, well, where's the machine broken? Right. Where's the engine maybe, you know, not as efficient as it could be. And then it's just a matter of finding where's the bottleneck. And, you know, as a growth team or a sales and marketing team, then then saying, OK, we're going to tackle this step and, and optimize it. And then the bottleneck moves and we're going to do this other one. And, and that is what gets the flywheel going. And sometimes that means that we need to improve the conversion rate. Sometimes that means that we need to add additional channels. It can mean a lot of things, but it always starts with how do customers happen? Now, what are, what's the different conversion rates, you know, and, and efficiencies throughout that stage? And then how do we optimize it? And when you have a process of continuously improving that, that's the flywheel that gets spinning especially when you got a process where customers create more customers, right? Whether yeah. it's referral systems or, uh, you know, virality or anything like that, that's when it really goes, that's when it really goes crazy. So all that's yeah. a piece and, of this leveraged sales component. Yeah. And so, so we have, uh, it's where last time we, I looked, it was 196. I know it's over 200 now uh, strategies for increasing uh, sales in a leveraged way. And, um, and so when we're working with our private clients in consulting, or we're working with our portfolio companies where we actually go through this with them, it really is amazing how often that core critical thing hasn't been addressed with any 
real intentionality. And so thinking about for you guys that are watching or listening, where do my customers come from and what is the process and is there a process by which mm -hmm. I intentionally make that happen? And then how many of those do I have? Um, and what would happen if I was able to add twice as many as I have now, right? Now we're really getting into how you can leverage sales. So then we move over to the profits. And I can't tell you, uh, I'll, uh, I'll tell you a story of uh, one of the people that we work with and, uh, and this person is, is very successful and very outwardly successful. And, um, yet when you kind of get to know them and you guys might've found this with lots of entrepreneurs, particularly if, if you're in the online space at all, you see this quite a bit. There's a lot of outward flexing, uh, financially and success wise, and a lot of talk about, um, how well people are doing. But when you really look at the lifestyle and the, uh, and the true wealth, it's just not there. And it's not there, not because they're bad people. And honestly, most of the time, not because they're just trying to be liars out there. It's just that they are uh, not focused on actually creating something from an income standpoint that will go beyond just feeding the beast that is business. And Ryan and I found uh, over the years that, you know what, if you don't carve intentionally money out for yourself from the business, what we call bankable profit, uh, above and beyond what you need to feed the business to grow and sustain it, then the business seems to find a way of expanding to take all of the resources that are there. And so if you carve it out, and Ryan, I know, has a great story that I'm going to ask him to share about it. But if you do carve it out, then um, it turns out that the business doesn't actually miss it. And the business probably actually gets better about managing its resources because it doesn't just have a ton of resources. One of our friends, Kamal Ravikant, told me a long time ago that he makes decisions about what startups to invest in by doing a walkthrough, not just this, but one of the final things he does is he does a walkthrough of the business. And if it's a startup and there's a brand new latest generation, most powerful Mac on every desk and a foosball table and a cereal bar and all this other cool stuff, but the company isn't yet profitable, he knows that there is a squandering of resources and that that company may very well have a culture that will cause it to spend the investor's money in ways that don't create profitability. And uh, the scrappy used computers uh, on the desks that are made out of doors like Bezos did, right? You know, two, two stands and a door over it. That's a desk. Um, that is the scrappy company that's much, much more likely to survive. Now, all of that goes to and, the, and I'll circle back to the person I was talking about. I asked them, I said, you know, hey, how is it going? And we have pretty real conversations with our friends. Uh, and, and he said, you know, yeah, uh, it, we're just totally crushing it, man. It's amazing. And I said, that's great. I said, I said, what did that look like for you last year? He said, we, uh, you know, I made $2 million. And I said, the business sold $2 million or you took home two million? I took home $2 million. And I said, awesome. I said, what did you do with it? And he's like, well, I mean, I had to put pretty much all of it back into the company at this point. I'm like, well, then you didn't take home $2 million. 
your business ate everything literally, it generated. Literally, you did not take it home. Right. Yeah. Right. So you had no bankable profit outside what you needed to invest back in the business. And I know you've got a great story around this, Ryan, that I'd love for you to tell too. And then we'll move on to the third component. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I started my first company, I remember thinking if I could just make $6,000 a month, that would be enough. That would pay my bills. That would be great. This was a long time ago, by the way, pre-kids. Um, and uh, I was like, that'd be amazing. And, and then I remember hitting that number and I remember thinking, if I made 10,000 a month, if I could just pay myself, you know, $10,000 a month, then, you know, that, that would really, I, I can't imagine ever needing any more money than that. And I remember giving myself my first, you know, uh, pay raise uh, to, to $10,000, you know, a month and thinking, oh, this is it, I've arrived. Well, not too long after that, some other things arrived, you know, a couple more kids, um, you know, four in total, then like, um, you know, soccer camps and braces arrived, Disney trips arrived. I mean, all these things started piling up. And before long, the only way I could make it was by taking distributions from the company. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking distributions. I mean, that's what we're saying. You, you need to do it. But I would basically take too much when we had some and nothing when, when we didn't. I felt lean. So it was in this, you know, feast and famine type mindset. So I was in this constant state of panic. And yeah, I remember going to a mastermind meeting um, and uh, kind of confessing this to, I didn't want to confess it to the entire group, but I confessed it to, uh, to a member of that group. He's like, well, that's easy. Just, just double your salary. Just go from 10 to 20. I was like, oh man, I can't, I can't, the business can't afford it. And he's like, yeah, I can. I guarantee you got $10,000 a month that you're wasting on stuff. You probably wouldn't waste it on if it were coming out and it were going to you, um, you know, based on what you're pulling out in distributions, like you're kind of taking it anyway, just go and take it. Just, just plan for it. The business will be fine. And sure enough, the business was. And it felt so dang good that then, you know, a couple months later, I doubled it again. And the business was fine. And I felt better. And the business was better for it because I wasn't panicking and I wasn't flailing. Um, and the person who told me to do that, incidentally, just happens to be my uh, fellow Business Lunch co-host, uh, none other than uh, Roland Frazier. So thank you again, Roland, for, you know, for that advice. But the lesson was critical. And I think it's important. We need to break this into two categories. There's the salary that you should earn, which all founders, all entrepreneurs need to pay themselves um, a salary. You should be earning a wage if you're working in the business. And it's really easy. Go look up what does a CEO of a company about your size and in your area make? At minimum, pay yourself that. Okay. At minimum, do that. Because if not you, somebody else would need to make it. It needs to be factored into the economics of the business. But in addition to that, you should be planning, budgeting for your own profit. You know, my, our buddy of ours, you know, mutual friend, Mike Michalowicz wrote the book, uh, Profits First. Great book. Concept is really simple, right? Don't have all of this revenue and then have all these expenses. And then after the fact, um, say, okay, I guess this is what profit is. Profit is what's left over. No, no, no. Flip it. We're going to do this much in revenue and you, we're going to you generate know, this much in profit. And then that's, that then is going to govern expenses. You know what? That's what I, I want to give the original um, person that I know of that, that said that uh, credit, there was a series of pamphlets that were released that were released years and years and years ago by a bank that were ultimately um, compiled into a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, and George Clayson was yeah. the author of that 
And that was the first time. And I was a kid. I mean, a kid when I read that was a weird kid. I read weird books, but, um, but it was pay yourself first. And, uh, and in that book, one of the things that they said was 10% before you do anything else, take that 10% out. And, um, and so Mike Michalowicz and us, uh, and all of the people who have ever had the good sense to follow George Clayson's advice, pay themselves first. It is a fundamental tenet of how do you build wealth? And so the theory in personal finance is that if you don't pay yourself first, the world will find things for you to spend money on. It might be the challenges that we face, uh, the water heater or washing machine you have to replace that was working just fine a few days ago, or it might be, um, <laughs> uh, the shiny objects that, that, you know, we tend to, to fill up our lives with. But, um, but just like in personal finance planning in business planning, which ultimately ties to your personal finances, you should think about paying yourself first. And so that's really what this concept is about that Ryan's talking about. So Ryan, now we talk about the intersection of these, uh, leverage sales and bankable profits in a Venn diagram and where those, two circles overlap, what does that allow us to have in business? That's when you have momentum. And if there's one thing that all like great businesses have, they have momentum. And I think as entrepreneurs, we're thriving and we're the most excited when we are in that kind of state of momentum. And momentum only happens when you have both of those things, right? You don't truly have momentum when all you have is sales. What you have is flailing. You have frenetic, you have panic right? It's not this kind of controlled momentum that happens when you have both leverage sales and bankable profit. When you have both of those, the company's being fed, but so are you and the, we should say, and the other stakeholders, right? Because we talk about paying yourself first, you know, carbon out 10 to 20% is bankable profit. Should, you should plan for that at a minimum. That's obviously to be shared amongst all the owners um, of, you know, of the company. But yeah, momentum, that's what we all want. And if you want to scale, you got to have momentum. So a lot of people talk about profits, but they don't talk about bankable profits. And they talk about sales, but they don't talk about leverage sales. Um, but it's a pretty common business 101 concept that ultimately to survive and be a sustainable company, we need to have profit. So I think the magic comes in this model from the third thing that we talk about. And that is not just value in a company, because a lot of companies will have value. If you're an owner operator and you're making $500,000 a year, the company clearly has value to you. Um, The question is, does it have value to anyone else that rises to the level of where you might be able to transfer the value that the business provides you to someone else? And when you do, it's pretty magical because the way that business transfers work is that they sell for multiples typically of either most common, the profit of the business, which can take a couple of forms or a multiple of the revenue of the business, which might be an annual recurring revenue or just straight out revenue. And there are formulas that, that really convert back and forth between revenue and, and uh, profit multiples. There are two types of profit that are in the business. One is very difficult to transfer, and that is owner-operator value. 
owner operator profits are calculated on something called seller discretionary earnings or SDE. It's effectively the money that the business makes in excess of its uh, costs of operation. So revenue minus the cost of operation. And then we also are going to add back all those things that most creative entrepreneurs are adding as deductions for tax purposes that reduce profits so they pay less taxes, but aren't really critical to the operations of the business. So the trip to Disneyland for the entire family, the uh, Tesla payment that you just would love to have that Tesla, but it's not really delivering things or anything like that, uh, and so on and so forth. Maybe even your cell phones or things like that. So we add that back and, um, and that gives us SDE. If we have EBITDA, then that's the earnings before interest taxes, um, uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. That is for a business that is not owner operated. So because it's not owner operated, we anticipate typically, although it's not always true, that those personalized expenses aren't really in there. And, um, and so we've got these, but both, basically both of those work out to profits. But the owner operated business is worth significantly less because there's a lot more risk that that owner operator who's essential to the business is maybe going to have something that causes them to not be there anymore. It could be death, could be disability, could be a lack of interest, uh, could be a lot of things, right? Uh, so the market for people to buy that is significantly less than for a professionally managed business where you can bring in anybody at any time who has management skills to run the business because it's got operating systems and, uh, and such that allow it to be not necessary for the owner to be there. So what we add to the profitability and the sales is this idea of transferable value. And when you get transferable value, that creates two additional overlap points that I'll let Ryan talk about. But the three together, sales that are leveraged, profits that are bankable, and value that is transferable, create this SPV, the sales profit value model, that really is the overarching framework for all of the things that we do and how we run our businesses. And so, Ryan, will you talk a little bit about the intersection of those other circles and the other things that they provide? And then what does that ultimately get us? Yeah. So we talked about how the intersection of, of uh, leverage sales and bankable profit is momentum, right? You got to have momentum. Uh, but if you have leverage sales and transferable value, which you just talked about, that's when you're what we would define as scalable. You are able to scale. Right. Because, yes, you need to have leverage sales to scale, but you also need to have transferable value because oftentimes these companies, um, all of the value rests in the founder. And so it can only I think Lee Iacocca um, had a quote and he said, um, you know, business moves at the speed of the boss. And he didn't necessarily mean it as a compliment. Right. And, and this is especially true in a lot of entrepreneurial organizations where because the value creation process, whether it's getting new customers or fulfilling, serving new customers, coming up with new ideas, all of the value creation is done by the owner. And so not only is the business, the value of the business not transferable to somebody else, it hasn't even been transferred throughout the organization. And so it can't scale because it's limited by the owner, by the founder. But if you have leveraged sales, and transferable value, you're now scalable. The capacity is there. If you have a uh, bankable profit and transferable value, now you have my favorite thing in the world, which is options. You got optionality, 
Because if you think about it, you're profitable, but you're also sellable because you have transferable value. So what this means is you could raise capital or not. Maybe you want to raise capital, but you don't need to because you're profitable. You could reinvest if you want to. You could go and get debt or not. It'd be fairly easy to get debt because you're profitable, which banks want. And you've got solid IP that if they needed to foreclose, it's not just somebody else there. Uh, you could sell or not. And I think as a business owner, if you've got as any entrepreneur, if you tell me, okay, I'm running a business that has momentum, it's scalable, and we've got optionality. So we can chart our own course, do our own thing. That's the ideal business. And at that point, whatever impact we want to achieve is scalable, uh, whatever exit I might want as, as an owner, whether it's exiting the day-to-day -day or you know exiting the org chart and having somebody else come in or exiting it completely, selling it completely, uh, I can achieve my ideal exit. All of those things, those desired end results that every entrepreneur wants are made, pro are made possible by the combination of, and that's critical, the combination of leverage sales, bankable profit, transferable value. Uh, and, and so that's why we talk about it all the time. And it's a beautiful framework because you could look at it at any point in time and say, huh, you know, do I feel like a hamster on a wheel? Do I feel like every month I'm starting over at zero? Well, you're lacking leverage sales. You know, do I feel kind of like this toothless chihuahua? Like I'm all bark, no bite. You know, okay, well, you probably are lacking profitability. Maybe you need to take more money out of the company. Or do I feel like, and I want you to talk about this, Roland, I feel like the dancing bear. Because I think this is where a lot of founders come in, right? I feel like the dancing bear. Bear's big, bear's powerful, bear is scary, but bear stops dancing, bear doesn't get paid. You're lacking in transferable value. It's so easy when you have this framework, not easy, simple when you have this framework, to be able to pinpoint and say, what needs to be my focus this month, this quarter? More leveraged sales, more bankable profit, more transferable value. Um, I think it's helpful. Can you talk though? Because what we find when we work with entrepreneurs, it is that third bit, the transferable value that most forget about. Um, yeah. everybody at least intuits that they need sales and profit. Transferable value is the one that everybody seems to forget about. Um, and so that's why we talk about this. They're like, oh, I'm the dancing bear. Can you talk about what it means to be the dancing bear and how to not be the dancing bear maybe? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think, uh, and, and that came out of uh, a conversation that, uh, that Tony Robbins was having about his, um, his book launch for, the uh, money master the game book. And he was saying, you know, listen, uh, a lot of us are, are, are just dancing bears and, and I'm one of them. And when I go out and I do my events and he was doing, uh, when I was representing him at, you know, back in the day, I think he was doing 260 days of travel a year. Uh, I mean, dag on that, that is a lot of travel. And, um, when, He's out there on stage. You know, he said, when I'm out on stage and I'm talking and I'm able to, to deliver my thing, they throw money. But when I stop, if my voice goes, if I'm unable to travel, if I'm unable to be out in the world, or if for some reason my popularity goes down or something like that happens, then the money will stop too. And that's a very scary place to be. And I can tell you that, that Ryan and I, have a whole lot of people that are dear friends that are total dancing bears. And we'll tell you when we talk to them about it, they're like, Oh my God, that's me. And they live in wonderful homes. A lot of those homes are rented. They drive great cars. I won't complain about the cars being leased. Cause I actually think that's probably the smartest thing to do if you're going to change them over every year, but, but they really 
haven't created a value that rises to the level of wealth that allows them to be free of having to do the dance. And so if you ask yourself, like if you really are honest with yourself and you say, if I was to leave my business for a year or more and not do anything at all with it, completely remove myself for it, and I came back, what would I find? Would I find that the business was thriving, maybe even had grown more than it was when I left? Or would I find that it's not even there anymore? And um, that's, a, that's a pretty significant question to ask yourself. Because if, it, if the answer is that it wouldn't be there or it would be a lot less than it was, then you are a dancing bear. And your ability to move on into other things and increase your wealth dramatically is very, very much constrained by the fact that you've got to show up in your business. The value of your business is significantly less than it would be if you could not have to be there. And that is just a straight fact from how businesses are valued. Owner-operated businesses sell for significantly lower multiples than professionally managed businesses. Across all industries, owner-operated businesses sell for about a 2.5 times profit multiple, 2.5 times SDE. Professionally managed businesses sell for 3.8 to 4.5 times EBITDA. Now, just looking at the multiple and saying that, let's say that profit is defined the same way in both of those companies, 2.5 is less than 4.5. So if you're making, let's say that your business <laughs> makes a million dollars a year, then you're going to get two and a half million dollars for it. If it makes a million dollars a year and it's not owner operated, you're going to get four and a half million for it. It's literally $2 million more, almost double what you're going to get paid for that business if you were to go to sell it, assuming that you could find a buyer because there are far fewer buyers for owner-operated businesses. And that is only one component of transferable value, right? The operating systems that you've got in place and SOPs, standard operating procedures, and all of these other things that create this transferable value go to adding to that value. And I won't try to calculate for you the difference between SDE and EBITDA here, but I'll tell you that it's a lot more than a factor of two times uh, in what you'll get when you sell a professionally managed business versus an owner-operated one because of the differences in definition of, of profit between SDE and EBITDA. So without getting too immersed in that complexity, just think about if you've got to dance for your money, then your business is worth a lot less and your freedom is hugely constrained. So having an operating system and fitting within this overall theme of, or this model or framework of transferable value with bankable profit and leveraged sales, that's truly what's going to get you freedom. And that's what's truly going to allow you to escape yeah. the income and the dancing bear trap and build wealth. And to bring it back home, it's also what's going to allow your business to grow, right? We talked about the combination of leveraged sales and transferable value being the thing that makes your business scalable, not only is it worth more from a valuation from a multiple standpoint, your business should get larger if you have transferable value in the form of operating systems and you know uh, the, all those different 
aspects that we talk about that, that go into having transferable value, it can just get bigger. I mean, imagine how much larger could your business be today? I'm talking about all the owner operator entrepreneurs out there. How much larger could your business be if it wasn't dependent upon you to do everything? How much higher of a quality of life could you have? How much better would your work balance yeah. be? How much more rested would you be to think about the things that are important to actually grow and scale your business beyond where it is right now? How many more relationships would you have? How much deeper would those relationships be? Like this affects everything in both your business and your personal life. So if you take anything from today, we would like for you to take that this concept of these three key things to focus on, on your business, to have and create leverage sales, to have and create bankable profit, to take care of yourself, to pay yourself first, right? And to create value that can be transferred to other people and to have all of those interlocking and working together will make your business better and, uh, and make you happier overall. Okay, well, I really appreciate you guys sharing this time with us today. Ryan and I were working on this thinking, you know what we haven't done? We haven't talked about the one overarching model that kind of governs all of the stuff that we do. And so we wanted to share that with you today and kind of explain it in, in pretty good detail, but not overwhelmingly so. And this is also, by the way, what informs our operating system, the scalable operating system. And this is what is used in all of the companies that we have in our own portfolios, where we uh, take interests in companies in exchange for helping them to grow and scale and exit. And it's also what we use when we're doing private consulting, when we meet with people for a half day to talk about how can we impact their business and help them get from where they are right now to where they want to be. It is the underlying framework for all of that. And so we're happy to share it with you. If you found that this was helpful, we would love it if you would ask us questions about it or comment or tell us how you using this has impacted your life. That's at businesslunchpodcast.com forward slash ask, businesslunchpodcast.com forward slash ask. Uh, and if you found that this is helpful to you or you think it might be helpful to somebody else, and tell a couple of friends about it and tell them that they should come and check out this podcast. We would appreciate you spreading the word for us. And we hope that's been a good value for you. And Ryan, anything else to say before we sign off today? No, uh, I think again, audit your business right now on SPV, right? Think about it. What do I need? Am I feeling like, you know, I need more leverage sales, bankable profit, transferable value. If in doubt, sales, then value, then profit. But, uh, but yeah, if we can help with that, uh, we love to help. We love to work with entrepreneurs and founders. And, um, and so we uh, hope, if nothing else, the framework provides some clarity. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for tuning in and having lunch with us today. We appreciate that. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Business Lunch Podcast. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. 
And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available. 